Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Coming to you from the Toby Family Auditorium at the Commonwealth Club, it's week to week, the political roundtable from Monday, September 30th. Now, and this is true, for the past three years, every single week to week program, I've gotten at least one question card from the audience saying, <laughs> when will he be impeached? How can we get him impeached? What will it take to impeach him? Well, tonight's your night. I mean, we're in the impeachment era. Um, but even this might not turn out as planned. Uh, the Daily Show's Desi Lydic vented last week. She said, quote, I'm mad because our president cannot even get impeached right. <laughs> He's wasting his one impeachment on taking down Joe Biden. Joe Biden will take down Joe Biden. <laughs> you only get one impeachment, and you got to do it right. Well, I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week. And on today's program, we, of course, are going to talk about the impeachment and the process and the politics involved, as well as other topics such as San Francisco's streets, the climate strike, AB5, and other things. And, of course, we'll end our program with our live news quiz. Everyone's welcome at the Commonwealth Club, so any opinions that are expressed up here are just those of the speakers and not necessarily the Commonwealth Club itself. Now let's meet our panelists for tonight. The far end of the stage is Carson Bruno. He's the assistant dean and adjunct lecturer at the Pepperdine University School of Public Policy, and he's on Twitter at Carson J.F. Bruno. Joining us for the first time is Tim Miller. He's the founder of Lightfuse Communications. He's a contributor to The Bulwark. He's communications director for the Jeb Bush 2016 campaign, founder of America Rising, and so many other things. I'm just going to curtail the bio here. But he's on Twitter at Tim ODC or Tim ODC. How do you all go with that? Whichever way you want. You can find it there. So welcome to our panel. And next to me is Melissa Kane. She's the political and legal reporter at KPIX-TV, and glad to have you back. Glad to be here. I think you're all veterans of this thing, so you know how we do it. There are question cards spread throughout the room. Write out some questions. We'll have people pick them up, and I've already got some of them, so I'll work (laughs) that into our discussion here tonight. Now, House Democratic Leadership led by Speaker Nancy Pelosi, has been resisting pursuing impeachment proceedings for a long time. Their fears, either stated by them or surmised by observers, um, ranged from worries that it would hurt vulnerable Democrats who had flipped the House by winning in purple districts, all the way to fears that if the impeachment wasn't a slam dunk, in other words, if a large percentage of the American population didn't think it was valid, uh, it would be rejected by the American people. It would not just be a political disaster, but perhaps a, a, an enduring political wound. Now, then the president talked to the new president of Ukraine, who, and I'm not making this up, is a professional comedian who portrayed an accidental Ukrainian president on television. <laughs> so President Trump reportedly pressed him to investigate Joe Biden, and critics say he used nearly $400 million in American aid to the hard-pressed government, government of Ukraine as a weapon to help him get him excuse me, to help his campaign. Now, let's start first, if we could, just briefly setting the stage, what happened last week? And if I can start with you, Melissa. (laughs) Ten words or less. Big question. (laughs) Uh, What happened last week? Well, let's see. We got the trans... So we we got the whistleblower complaint uh, that sort of lays out what a certain person, we don't know who yet, uh, heard from other folks within the administration. And then as a result, we got this summary of a conversation, of the conversation with President Zelensky. And then we got, uh, Democrats in a position to basically 
say we we can't um, you know fight this feeling anymore. If I could quote <laughs> Ario Speedwagon, they uh, they um, they they were like, we, you know, at some point you just have to do this. You have to move forward. And, and to be clear, they what they're calling for is an inquiry, not for an actual impeachment proceeding. They're saying we need to investigate what is in this whistle whistleblower claim. We need to see the original transcript. We need to sort of get to the bottom of all this. They're they're saying basically it looks bad, but also it warrants additional uh, information. Now, weirdly, they've got now three committees, I think, looking yeah. into this, which is just going to be kind of a fiasco. Like, it's, you know, it would be better if they had just one, maybe maybe one big one. Uh, but <laughs> three little ones, you know, gra- gathering crumbs, which which may cause some confusion. But that's essentially, uh, Nancy Pelosi has sort of moved over into the let's at least try to go down that road column on uh, on impeachment. Tim, what do you think was the deciding factor that made Nancy Pelosi, you know, put aside her reluctance and say, yes, we need to do this. We need to look into this. I'm going to answer that. I do just want to start by saying I heard some chuckles when you mentioned the Jeb part of my bio, and I think that, <laughs> I think that y'all would be lucky to have Jeb right now. <laughs> um, uh, as far as, as far as Speaker Pelosi, I, I, look, I, I mean, he, he, he's caught red-handed, uh, I, I think is, is what happened. Basically, her hand was forced. Um, it was forced somewhat by these kind of purple seat members uh, uh, that you mentioned in the intro, who I think <clears throat> feel a lot more political stability uh, about uh, voting for impeachment uh, against the president when um, the facts of the case are as clear as they were in the call. And in the, like as you said, summary, not transcript, but summary of this call, uh, a summary that you know, the president, for some reason, volunteer, volunteered to put out uh, because I think that uh, he's surrounded by advisors who are so uh, conspiratorial in their thinking and so detached from reality that they actually thought that it was going to vindicate him, uh, which is insane uh, in, its, in its own right. And so, you know, look, impeachment is a uh, political process, not a legal process. Right. You're the lawyer here, not me. Um, and so I, I think the uh, what actually brought us to the brink of this was going to be a political necessity, you know, not a legal necessity. And I think that the Ukrainian transcript uh, gave the speaker that. Carson? Yeah, I think it's also important to kind of set the stage a little bit broader, too, in the fact that Nancy Pelosi is also seeing a lot of Republicans uh, starting to head off into retirement. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of not just those who could be theoretically uh, vulnerable in terms of the 2020 elections, those who are in safe seats who would not be vulnerable even if the reelection for uh, President Trump goes really south. Um, they would they would be basically assured reelection. So the fact that the minority party in the House is showing that they're not too enthusiastic about the prospects of regaining majority status also, I think, really kind of helps to shore up Nancy Pelosi in terms of making sure she's not putting her vulnerable members that she needs to win reelection to maintain her status as speaker uh, is, in, is enabling her to really kind of move forward with something that could be a political roll of the dice. Um, because it still could be. Let's not forget that impeachment um, is still not a popular thing. The impeachment inquiry is, yes, popular now because of the unfoldings of the Ukrainian situation. But the actual act of impeachment rarely goes well for those the party that is actually in the impeachment process. Uh, you saw it with the Republicans. If you go back to the Nixon era, it was not until basically Nixon's polling went into the mid-20s. The tapes. The tapes. It was that smoking gun. 
uh, where then the Republicans started to really kind of you know jump ship, uh, where you really started to see kind of the proceedings really start to move forward. So um, A, there needs to be a smoking gun. B, there needs to be that kind of political assurity um, and a little bit of bipartisanship as well. And the fact that some members of the Republican Party are, in fact, kind of saying, you know what? Yes, let's actually go through the inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, a, I think they're protecting themselves a little bit. Two, um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Two's better than none. <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- th- there needs to be those two elements to it, not just kind of um, not just the pressure from her own caucus. And she's been able to withstand that pressure since day one of the 2018 election. Remember, too, that you know, impeachment is just sort of um, if, if you're a D.A., impeachment just bring just means we're going to we're going to bring charges. Right. So when the House votes that majority vote to bring impeach to, for impeachment proceedings, as we all know, goes to, then to the Senate. And now there's a whole lot of questions. What does that mean does the Senate have to have a trial? Because so, the Constitution just says the trial is sort of the purview of the Senate. It doesn't say there has to be one explicitly, although some folks say it's implicit. It doesn't explicitly say there has to be a trial. There's no time frame on when it has to be. Right. So we know Mitch McConnell, who uh, famously put off Mayor Garland's uh, uh, hearings, did not have any compunction about, you know, sort of doing away with norms to to push things out. He could push it out till after the 2020 election. And also, what is a trial? I mean, could you just do it as sort of a uh, something like on the papers? Do you need to actually have witnesses and things like that? Could you just put together something and say, well, that's a trial. Um, and so there, now there are a lot of questions about how this could be weaseled out of, potentially, uh, even assuming the House goes through with an impeachment vote, we know there aren't the votes in the Senate, but there may not even be a real sort of full-on trial like Bill Clinton had, for mm-hmm. example, in 1999. You might not even see that. That is another sort of uh, pain point where you could have, a, you know, kind of a crisis. There's some debate as to whether or not the Democrats should go very narrow, very, you know, narrow in their their stuff, uh, the impeachment inquiry and, and potential charges, keeping it very re- tightly related to this Ukraine call, or... Someone had suggested, and I think it might have been um, a never-Trump or Republican who was basically saying, load it up because you will put all those Senate Republicans on notice of having to vote on all kinds of different things. And they actually might find some of them they would vote uh, for some articles. Any thoughts on that? Any Carson? Um I mean, it, or narrow. It, the fact that this happened over a phone call, the fact that, you know, of course, the president of the United States talking to a lot of world leaders on a, on a very regular basis does open up the kind of the, the ability for the, the, the House to start to explore other phone calls. You know, there, there was a discussion about kind of getting the transcripts from all the Putin uh, conversations, um, of course, talking with the Chinese. You know, there's a long list that could open him up for a lot of other opportunities that might even be more of smoking guns than this Ukrainian situation could play out to be. Again, we don't have too much detail because it's just been summaries so far. Um, so it's really hard to really kind of gauge the true timeline at this point. Um, but that's, I think that's why Nancy Pelosi is going with the inquiry stage because it gives her the ability to really kind of lean in or, or kind of pull back as she needs to, depending on kind of how the political situation rolls. There was a, a news story that, uh, the U.S. intelligence, I guess, had believed that, had concluded that Israel, Israel's government had put up some basically cell phone listening devices around Washington that would capture improperly uh, shielded phone calls, uh, including the president's. Uh, Israel, of course, has denied this, and others have said, well, everyone's probably doing it. <laughs> Maybe we should just go to Israel and say, <laughs> can you give us these calls? We want those, those recordings. <laughs> 
Um, someone writes from the audience, in normal times, wouldn't this impeachment be a slam dunk? I would actually argue it would be more difficult in normal times because not being as polarized as we are now, um, you would have even more people who would be able to rally around the president. Where well, Look, I, I, I don't have the numbers from memory. Maybe a, a, a political junkie in the audience does. But I think that there were 10 Democrats that went for impeachment to, for Clinton. Is yeah. that right? Um, including a couple that are still around, Colin Peterson, a uh, rep out of Minnesota. Uh, so... Uh, you know, look, I, I do think that in less polarized times, you and and with a Republican Party in the past that was more fragmented, um, you you certainly would have, uh, I think, a broader potential coalition for impeach, impeachment and removal uh, than you do now. I, I mean, th- because the facts are there so plainly. I mean, what's happened? I don't, I don't know whether whether how nor- whether normal is is the question here, but but the parties have sorted themselves ideologically to such a degree that you don't have like what you really did in the old days with the blue dog Democrats and yeah. the Rockefeller Republicans, right? That, that we have such clean ideological sorting that, that I, you know, I don't know that, you know, we're in abnormal times because the president is so extremely abnormal, but I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I don't know that even once he's gone, whether, you know, that means that we're going to move back to quote unquote normal times where there's more kind of bipartisanship and comedy. I, I, I think that even after Trump's gone, you know, we're in for at least a short to medium term period where this is kind of the new normal. Let's talk about Donald Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Has he been in a courtroom? <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's, he's been on TV he's a, a lot. He's a lawyer kind of like I'm a basketball player. <laughs> Well, he's he's kind of been continuing his Saturday Night Live performance art, and and just giving these interviews on TV, whether it's yelling at you know, yelling at a, a Democratic uh, a commentator on Fox, um, I guess air quotes Democratic commentator on Fox, or uh, yelling at I think he was yelling at a, a, a fellow a fellow conservative on, on another show, um, but more seriously, he's the president's personal lawyer. And the president in this call, from what we can get from that that summary, was telling this foreign leader to work with Rudy Giuliani on you know this little side project of theirs. Um, that in itself would seem to be a problem, right? I asked the lawyer on the panel. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, when you really have so many lawyers, I mean, really, we taxpayers fund. A lot of government lawyers, right. uh, whether it be the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA, the State Department. I mean, there are n- any number. There's armies of lawyers, literally, that he could have called on. And so it is a, a good question. And this week, um, Chris Wallace tried to ask um, Stephen Miller, uh, you know, to answer this question. Which, by the way, was only one of many bonkers interviews. <laughs> That you should look up online. <laughs> Watching Stephen, I'm sorry, I, it's very opinionated, but still, wa- watch that video. It's wow. It was an interesting exchange, uh, and Stephen Miller basically said, you know, he he just refused to answer the question. Really, and, and so far, we haven't really gotten a decent answer. And I think Margaret Brennan asked uh, Rudy Giuliani the same question. You know, why call you and not you know one of any number other of attorneys? If this is really on the up and up. Why are you involved in this instead of another another attorney, like a government attorney? This is really like legit state business. Why are we calling you? Uh, and and he didn't answer. So so far we haven't actually gotten a good response from um from the you know from the president or any of his proxies on this issue. Uh, unclear doesn't look good. Uh, but I'm sure is is part of 
what is driving the public's skepticism now or the public's interest now, I would say, in um, in, in impeachment inquiry. The uh, White House kind of infamously emailed out their talking points that were intended to go to Republicans who would be defending them in media interviews and famously sent it to Democrats. Um, (laughs) But someone from the audience asked, now do any of these Republican talking points against impeachment actually carry any water? So, Tim, any thoughts on any of the arguments they're making against this? Well, I'd answer that question two ways. I I guess the first question is, look, I mean, impeachment... And it, it, as a censure uh, is is one thing, right? Impeachment and removal, again, that goes back to this is a big political question. And I do think that there are, you know, some, some, not very many, good faith defenses of what the president's doing, which is, you know, we need to give latitude to the executive branch and foreign affairs. And if all future presidents are worried that they're going to get removed from office, if, you know, the details of some phone call leaks, then, you know, that's a slippery slope. I I think that that's a, it's not my position, but I think that that's a good faith defense. The specific defenses that they are giving against Donald Trump are all range from bad faith to wrong to completely insane. <laughs> and I'm happy to go through those uh, if you would like to as we, as we move along. Thanks. Okay. Um, Carson, I mean, when you've heard these, uh, in fact, Kevin McCarthy <laughs> came out and had an interview that did not seem to go well. No. And, and partly he, I mean, he seemed to just have difficulty explaining the stuff that he had been sent out to explain. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think it's kind of to to Tim, Tim's point where there's such divergence in the talking points themselves that it's hard to maintain a, a level of professionalism as you're being kind of hit with back-to-back questions, and especially in a one-on-one interview like that, where basically he had, I mean, the, the reporter had all of the, the, the text right there, could yeah. just read it off, and you really have nowhere to go because um, you're sitting there and... <laughs> You're just being peppered with questions, and when you're not answering the question, it's very easy then to kind of just re-ask the question in a different way. Um, so, I mean, whoever, again, whoever was the comms person who put the <laughs> Kevin like, McCarthy there, that was crazy to be Scott Pelley. And like for one example, so the one that he, that he got in on with with Pelley with McCarthy is this. Well, Trump didn't really say that the favor was about Biden. He said the favor was about CrowdStrike. And and so Pelly goes back at at McCarthy and says, "Well, he says, but that's the um, the favor though. Uh, or, or, but here's one favor though." And McCarthy said, "He didn't say though." And and Pelly said, "I'm looking at it. It says though right here." Okay. <laughs> and then and then it's like, okay, well then let's go to the favor he does ask, which is about CrowdStrike. Yeah. And you know, I I wrote about this for the Bulwark, and yeah. you know, we could spend all day on this, and and so I don't want to bore you with this this completely insane, you know, otherworldly conspiracy theory that the president was asking the president of Ukraine about. Uh, but the short of it is, is that um, this conspiracy theory has bubbled up through Roger Stone and the internet. And the idea is that the DNC wasn't hacked by the Russians. It was an inside job within the committee. And that uh, when the FBI went to investigate this, uh, the DNC rejected their efforts to, inve- to, to look at the server and had a company called CrowdStrike look into it. 
And CrowdStrike is part of a international cover-up that involves the Ukrainians, uh, Jim Comey, <laughs> Robert Mueller, Donna Brazil, who's a Fox News contributor now, which is kind of strange that she's involved, and the entire DNC, where they covered this, uh, the fact that it was an inside job up and sent an evidence to the FBI that it was the Russians. Uh, the, Trump seriously asked Zelensky about that theory to help him prove it, that the yeah. Ukrainians were – the previous Ukrainian administration was in on it. So if you're McCarthy, you know, and you're stuck on this talking point where you're like, well, he didn't ask about the favor about Biden, you know, then the follow-up is, well, let's talk about CrowdStrike. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the favor he did ask about. And then it's also – I mean, then they're calling this memo a transcript. They keep on, re- they keep on repeating this. It's not a transcript. The, the, tra- the, the transcript may not exist, actually, because no one actually knows. It doesn't seem anyone really knows where the transcript currently is. It's a summary of the conversation by people who are listening to the conversation, that all these conversations have summaries kind of attached to them. So it, 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 the fact that Republicans keep on calling it a transcript then kind of does, that doesn't even help their situation either, because it's, it's, it's a, someone else's account of what the conversation was. So since President Nixon... No president wants to admit that they record their calls. They must be recording them. I mean, I would. Why, do sure you think? Who, I don't know. I mean, I, no? have you heard the president talk? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I would think the deep state would be recording them. Something else. Israel. Israel. Uh, no. Well, I'll say. Look, our you know, as <laughs> journalists here, uh, my people um, have, done, have done a good job, I think, of of, of being there with it with the information. But I will say this, um, and this is something that was a little disappointing when I was watching the Sunday shows. And I'm not saying when Republicans point to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden that that. That's the same thing, that that is, you know, equally as bad or anything like that. But I think that among some Democrats, certainly among some journalists, the inability to acknowledge that Hunter Biden getting 50 grand a month from a Ukraine natural gas company is gross I, and it's just not cool and isn't the same, like, is a problem. You know, like it's, you know, like it was weird and bad. And even if he was qualified, which he wasn't, it would still be weird and bad. And why can't you just say that (laughs) and then say, but we're talking about this other thing, which is, again, is not the same. And I'm not saying the Biden got the guy. I don't know if he got the prosecutor fired for, you know, for investigating the company that Biden was Hunter Biden was working at. I don't know. But what I do know is that the vice president's kid was getting a ridiculous amount of money on the board of this natural gas company company in the Ukraine while his dad was dealing with issues in the Ukraine. And that is ridiculous and terrible. And people should just be able to acknowledge that and say what the president, President Trump did, if true, is also really bad. And I'm really frustrated with my people for not for just shrugging it off like, well, that's cool. You know, like it's not it's not cool. I guess, I mean, I agree with that in some sense, but in another sense, thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you in the sense that Hunter Biden seems like an idiot, and that that the contract that he was getting was was gross. But like, the thing is. Hunter Biden isn't running for president, right? Yeah, and yeah. and so Donald Trump Jr. is full of gross stuff, and so is Ivanka, and so is everybody. You can, but you can I, think I, all I of it is bad. You can think you know, Hunter Biden okay, is bad right, and okay, the Okay, but here's the thing, though. What Joe, there's no proof that Joe Biden did anything wrong. And so, and so to focus on Hunter Biden, I, I think that there's a lot of journalists that, you know, in, a, in an effort to try to say, well, you know, here the Trumps do make this claim about the Bidens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's like about the Bidens. So it's like, well, what did Joe Biden do that was wrong exactly? Because we have 
um, um, a lot of contemporaneous reporting about what happened. This is not something that happened in ancient history. This is not something that was not covered, that Rudy Giuliani discovered through an interview while, while he was taking the Scooby-Mobile to go interview people in the Ukraine. Like, like everybody wrote about the firing of this prosecutor in 2016. I was, I was around. I was at the, uh, at the time was criticizing Hunter Biden for doing this. But, um, but what, uh, uh, what the reporting showed at, at that time was that this prosecutor was not investigating the Biden company, was not investigating a lot of other companies. He was involved in scandals where his subordinates were stealing diamonds and other, uh, um, you know, and other, uh, 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 and cash, uh, in bags. Typical, typical and, things right. in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, this is Eastern <laughs> Europe, right? And so then when he, then when Biden pressured him to resign, like I was watching Stephanopoulos this weekend and, and Stefan, and Rudy is just gaslighting him about what happened in Ukraine and Stephanopoulos like didn't read any articles about this. He, he doesn't know what happened. So Rudy Rudy said that, you know, Biden pressured him to resign and he resigned. Well, kind of. He resigned in February for a couple days. Then he came back, fired his deputy, who was the reformer that all of the pro-democracy groups wanted to be the prosecutor, stayed on for another month, and then had to be voted out by the Ukrainian parliament 289 to 16. Like, Joe, I don't think Joe Biden was whipping votes in the Ukrainian <laughs> parliament. Like, everybody thought this dude was bad. No, no, no. Right? I, so, I, I like, don't, I'm not saying that Joe Biden did that. I'm not, again, I'm not equating it, but I'm just saying the fact that everyone just sort of seems to shrug at this what appears to be and what i think especially like for example if one of trump's kids was on a board of, of a ukrainian natural gas company people be freaking out like it's to just be like oh well it's fine it's not fine and i'm not saying joe biden whipped whipped votes in the duma <laughs> but i'm saying that and i'm not saying you should be blamed for it and i'm not saying there should be any equation but i just mean the fact that that seems to be like totally okay over here um, and we're just going to focus on this over here, undermines what is otherwise, I think, a very legitimate sure, series of... Sure, but of, just really of, quick, just really quick. Of, but the point is relevant, though, to, to what is happening with the president, is the president's asking a Ukrainian president to fabricate a fake investigation about Biden. Like, that that's the point. So, like, whether or not you think Hunter... Like, Hunter Biden's gross, sure. Like if, and if the president wants to attack him in a campaign ad over that, fine. Right? Or if, if, you know, if commentators, if Republican campaigns, that's our, that's your job as a campaign guy to go after the other campaigns. But when the president in a diplomatic call is calling the other president and asking him to fabricate a controversy about, about Joe Biden that's already been investigated, that's already been looked at, that's already, that where they've already been cleared, like, I mean, that's just wrong. And so for, for journalists then to say, well, when, you know, when Trump defenders say, well, they're just looking into this and for journalists to say, well, you know, it's something worth looking into. To. Like that, no, no, it was looked into, and and what Trump is trying to do is is hold is hold four hundred million dollars until the Ukrainian president makes up a fake investigation <laughs> into Joe Biden, mm-hmm. and that's bullshit. Carson. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we just kind of veered to Biden uh. is a problem, though, for Biden. I mean, well, and it doesn't. Talk it, about that Biden has Biden has to win a primary first. He's not he's not the Democratic nominee yet, so he has to convince the voters, but more importantly, the establishment and the party insiders and all, especially the early states, that he is capable of going up against and winning against Trump. And and at least for the initial part of the campaign, yeah, there were some some hiccups um, that could kind of be showcases of bigger problems, but. 
the fact of the matter was he had the electability sort of argument kind of locked down for a good portion of that early, the early part of the summer um, and into kind of this stage of the primary season. The fact that we're talking about impeachment and all of a sudden we're talking now about Joe Biden is a big problem for Joe Biden. Because if he can't convince people in Iowa and New Hampshire um, or his kind of his savior state, which is South Carolina, to vote for him and make sure he is at least number two, if not number one in those early states, then his campaign sunk and he's not going to be the nominee. Um, so and that's bad news for for him and his team. Well, so CBS did a poll the other day, shameless plug, um, and, they said, <laughs> and it showed that 42% of Americans uh, want to see an impeachment inquiry. Uh, no, I'm sorry, want to see the president impeached. I apologize. So they want to see an actual impeachment, 42%, but 43% want Joe Biden and this whole issue investigated further, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, to your That's point, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> and the, I think the biggest winner here to some degree is like Amy Klobuchar, right? So whoever, who's the other moderate, right? Who's not Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, you kind of have to go down and down. Oh, Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> uh, uh, may actually find herself, you know, um, you know, do, doing a little better on the polls, depending on what happens, um, with Biden. If, pe- if this mm-hmm. really does, you know, Escalate. play out in terms of people's confidence that he can defend himself. And so far, he hasn't done, he didn't call for impeachment right away. Everybody else but Joe Biden called for impeachment right away. Uh, and he's like, oh, let's have an investigation. And it just seemed like, hey, you know, maybe he doesn't want people to look too closely into this. And, and I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm saying it, it, he didn't come straight out straight away and say, this is nonsense. You know, we got to fight it. Uh, and so, you know, it just sort of was like, Joe, get on in there and <laughs> You know, well, that, that has been get, a get mad. It's cool so far. Yeah, you know? yeah this, like, could, be, this could be his moment. I, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm more mad for Joe than Joe's mad. For Joe. <laughs> you know? I'm a never Trump Republican. So that's not your target audience. So, I, you know, I mean, it's really could yeah. could have been could be still. It's not over. It could be a moment right, for him. Right. And it could um, be on, on a primary or a sorry, a debate stage where someone. Yeah, you know, that's Elizabeth Warren, per, for instance, or uh, Kamala again. Who Besides, you know, you know, go after Hunter. go after him again because she needs to rise in the polling again, um, and that's when he just kind of just yeah. has his this I pay for this mic moment. Right. Know, sort of I mean, he's like I was, and here's the difference about what happened was happening in Ukraine. He was trying to stop corruption in right. Ukraine. He was trying to fire the corrupt prosecutor. Trump is being corrupt on his behalf in Ukraine. Like, they were doing the opposite things, right? So, I, you know, I, I think that if he could explain that clearly and forcefully, this could be a chance for him. But, but he's, been, he's been kind of letting it happen quietly. Mm-hmm. Someone from the audience asks, if actual impeachment is defeated in the Senate, do you think that would strengthen or weaken Trump's results in the 2020 election? Any thoughts? I've given up trying to predict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I would say this. Uh, biggest, biggest picture, um, I could see it, it helping him. Um, you know, there being some fatigue, but, but, but that doesn't, that's not a reason not to do it because you can't game it out really. And, 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 and a focused, campaign uh or not campaign but a focused inquiry into what he's been doing a day in day out news cycles on that does not help him because there is people don't believe that these folks exist but they do there there's about five percent of the electorate mostly it's conservative independents it's some moderate republicans who like 
actually don't like him, but just but just go with see him as the lesser of two evils, right? And so you know, Democrats don't like talking to those 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 voters. Um, Trump turns them off often. So when Trump's in the news all the time, that's why you see that little five percent dip in his approval rating. And when he's out of the news, when AOC's in the news, you see him going back up a little bit. So if this keeps him in the news all the time, I, I think on balance probably hurts him with that small, very very small swing demo. And I mean, national polling is kind of meaningless in terms of this sort of stuff, because, again, we don't hold a national election. So it's really kind of what is Pennsylvania thinking? What is Michigan thinking? What is Wisconsin thinking? What is Florida thinking? What is Ohio thinking? You know, what are those individual states thinking? And kind of are there is there the movement happening there that then puts that Electoral College victory in jeopardy? And we're way too early in the process to really be able to truly see that out. And it also plays on the Senate side, too. You, you mean you start to see things starting to shift maybe in North Carolina, Nevada, um, some other states, or I guess not Nevada, um, but Arizona. Uh, Colorado, sorry, Colorado. Car- Arizona, um, where all of a sudden you have these vulnerable senators really trying to win re-election um, that really make up the majority. And do they start to really kind of think about kind of triangulization in terms of the political side of this to, in order to save their skin as well as then kind of the, the, the election and the impeachment process overall? You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program. So how do you take the temperature of Donald Trump's feelings from his tweets? Um, <laughs> yesterday he called for Representative Adam Schiff to be tried for treason. Uh, he also said, and someone in the audience asked about, uh, he said his impeachment res- would result in a new civil war. Does he think that's effective? Because no doubt he made the decision also to release that summary. Who wants to take that one? I mean, civil, <laughs> no, no, not civil war. Okay. You know, there's, I mean, I won't go into like the thousands of reasons why that doesn't make any sense. But, but, but if he really wants to scare people, he wants to rile his base. He wants to get people, you know, thinking in like, into sort of a bunker mentality about, you know, whose side are you on? Um, even though, you know, it's sort of block by block. I don't really know how like support would work as a southerner. I'm like, I don't know the geography of this even a little bit. Uh, so it seems like it's some hyperbole, some, you know, sort of dog whistling, definitely sort of trying to get his people to sort of get behind him. But it's not clear. It's not clear that um, that that is working, especially when we're just talking about. And I think it's 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 a it's a smart thing for Democrats to say, we're going to just start with an inquiry. Right. We're just going to start by digging into does this whistleblower complaint mm-hmm. contain information that can be substantiated can we get the actual transcript? Let's get the best evidence we can uh, and go from there and not, you know, move like sort of straight to, you know, sort of try to overshoot. Um, but does he think it would result in a civil war? I, I can't imagine that's something that he would enjoy. I mean, no. he lives in his, I mean, he lives in, his, in a world that we don't live in. 
Uh, it's very clear of that. It's just a matter of how much more can the people around him take and how much more will Mitch McConnell and, and Kevin McCarthy take in terms of... A lot. Apparently, a lot more than I was expecting. Same. Especially for someone like Mitch McConnell, who doesn't care if he's popular or not. Mitch McConnell could care less whether he's popular. I mean, his polling in his own home state is terrible, but he knows he's going to win re-election because he's a great political operative in that way. But I just do not expect him to be able to want to go down that route. Well, when they find out that the whistleblower is Melania, I think the lady's going to... <laughs> blow off this whole thing. Um, so I'm going to, since I, we need to move on from the impeachment topic, I'll, I'll kind of meld a number of questions here. One is, so that's basically, we were talking before about the Senate, how Mitch McConnell might handle that, whether he wants to delay it. Could the House in, vote to impeach and then delay when the vote you know, delay when it gets sent to the Senate or something like that? Or is that, do, do we know enough about the rules even answer that question? The vote to impeach in the House has never had, like, an addendum that says, and the Senate shall vote on this in six months or something like that. Like, that's not, there's no way to delay, I don't think, or at least historically, there hasn't been a way to delay, to sort of build in a timer into the House and say, you're going to vote on this after the 2020 election when we take back all those Senate seats <laughs> and we're much happier with what the Senate looks like. So, um, and so, you know, this whole idea, I mean, there are different theories out there about how long this is all going to take. So the Speaker, for example, has very, been very careful. Again, she's got three committees Oh, Lord. You know, and, you know, the, the White House is not going to turn over any documents. And so it's going to be a legal fight, legal fight. And so we may end up, you know, sort of right up to the election. Uh, and that could be I think both sides find that beneficial. I don't know who's right, but uh, but it's definitely going to take a while. It's not going to be a thing that is going to necessarily happen overnight. Although we had Marcus Olnier on the other the other day, congressman from the East Bay, who said that he was anticipating an, an impeachment vote by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wouldn't is, be surprised if the speaker. Sorry, just yeah. really quick, if the speaker tried to jam it in even before Thanksgiving. I, I mean, I, I don't think we should. They should take anything off the table. Um, you know, there's a cost-benefit analysis that's hard to game out. Um, there, there gets to be fatigue about these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, you could lose your the popularity on this is is tenuous. You know, it's moving their direction, but it's tenuous. You know, the benefit is you know maybe a longer inquiry and covers more things. But you could kind of do both, right? I and mean, you could vote in December and then still investigate as long as he's in there, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know that I wouldn't be surprised if that's the route that they take. And just a few things. Hey, there's only this has only happened three times, and so in terms of precedent, there, there's not much there. And I mean, not a relevant precedent to eighteen. So it's kind of hard to say. Well, this is how it works because a, as Melissa, as you said, it's not really truly laid out in the Constitution. Like step one, you do this. Step two, you do this. And then it's in modern history, it's it's really hasn't occurred. It, that often enough and to really make it a sure thing of this is what you do. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, this is what happened in, in 1998, 1999 with Bill Clinton. This is what kind of was the result. This is what happened with Nixon, and this is the result. This is what happened with Johnson, and this was the result. I mean, very tough to do that. Um, in a way, I feel like the, Nancy Pelosi would be smart to kind of just push through this through, get it done with. It, it, polling is moving in her direction. She has kind of the momentum, do it, and then if it kind of backfires on her, 
she has then a few months to kind of deal with it in terms of the uh, political ramifications. Or maybe then Mitch McConnell and the senators start to think, well, it'd be kind of nice to have a senator or a president Pence. Oh yeah, you forgot about that Pence one, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well let's let's move on. We may well have this to talk about in future week weeks. Um, uh, maybe we should do a special impeachment one. I don't know, but uh, we we talked a bit about uh, the Biden race and, and such. So let's talk briefly about some of the other candidates and such. Uh, Kamala Harris, twenty points behind Elizabeth Warren in California. <laughs> so is she done? There was an Emerson College poll that showed in California that it went, um, I think, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, and then Kamala Harris. Behind Andrew Yang. I just let that sink in in your home state. Wait, wait, where's Marianne Williamson? Um, (laughs) Pulling strong at 2%. In Xanadu. Uh, (laughs) god bless her she she makes those debates watchable uh no no i mean is she is she done uh i don't know i mean at at some point you know it's you can only reboot your campaign so many times and and her latest thing when like i'll give you an example so she rolls out her uh, criminal justice reform package and it's basically like 50 bullet points it's and now things don't have to be as simple as build the wall but it's helpful to have something that's not you know, just sort of a list of, uh, you know, priorities from a certain, you know, wing of, of political life. Uh, and so, you know, she, she rolls it out and it's just sort of like this. It looks very um, much like Hillary Clinton had where we, it was just like, here's my 100 point plan to deal with this. And you're going, uh, wow, uh, that's a lot to take in. So uh, so she even that was kind of muddled. Even though she was like, OK, I'm going to come out there and sort of, you know, rebut my, you know, my reputation by putting forth all this progressive legislation and it was just it just it didn't go anywhere because it was just too much uh it's, it was just a fire hose of stuff that even if you're thirsty and someone turns a fire hose on you like you're not getting anything to drink from that right you can't just do that <laughs> and so and she's hired a lot of former hillary staffers and i don't know if that's the issue but it seems like so far every time she tries to reboot it kind of falls flat and and she's really suffering even in her home state she just i think yesterday or the day before opened up her oakland um campaign office and it was like okay so september 29 you you know eight months or nine months after after she launched she you know she opens her oakland campaign office which clearly indicates she thought she had california in the bag not necessarily as a winner but as one of the top three for example and that's just not happening and so now she's sort of scrambling to you know sort of reconfigure and i'm just it doesn't seem to me like anything is really landing uh, yeah I, I don't I think that's right. I, mean, I don't have any special insight into the Democratic primary voter and why she's not doing well. Maybe you guys, some of you guys, could give me some insight on that. Um, I, I do. I think two things. One, I, my, just as a political observer, uh, you know, my old boss John Weaver, who's John Kasich's strategist, always said in these sorts of things, uh, "Always believe your eyes." You know, and uh, the eyes, uh, the eye test right now says that Elizabeth Warren, you know, has the energy um, on the, on their side, and if you, you know, people say it's early, it's early. Well. If you looked at October of the past 
three, four presidential cycles, the person with the energy won. You know, I mean, we just didn't let ourselves believe that Donald Trump was going to win because he was <laughs> Donald Trump, but he did. And and Hillary, you know, I guess you could say Bernie did, but I mean, Hillary had a big lead in October. Mitt had a big lead in October. He ended up winning. Obama was behind, but obviously had the energy. You know, so if you just had, if you had to bet in October, the person with the energy ended up winning. That said, you know, this is a very fragmented field. And I think that the one thing Kamala has going for that a lot of the other second tier and third tier people don't have is if if Biden did collapse, I mean, you mentioned Amy earlier. Uh, so the moderate is one part of Biden's vote, but black voters are the other big part, right? And so who is who is there that could win moderate voters and black voters and kind of recreate Biden's coalition? Maybe Kamala, maybe. So I, mean, she's I, I don't think she's pretty, dead. Like, or Corey. Out there, or Corey. Super yeah. lefty positions that i think kind of put her out of the moderate yeah may moderate was the wrong word but mainstream you know obama democrats Mm -hmm. um uh so i i don't know i'm not ready to like put a gravestone up but but yeah i've always i mean the the thing with kamala harris i i've always kind of just been curious or or unsure about is kind of why you know what's what's what does she bring that that anyone else doesn't bring that Elizabeth Warren doesn't bring that Joe Biden doesn't bring she doesn't bring a lot of experience in she terms of 75 well okay i guess that's one why <laughs> that's her new slogan Kamala Harris. i mean so is, so is not 75 not from the silent generation no offense to anybody from the silent generation but, but i mean you know, it'd be, other options pete i mean pete mayor pete is pushing hard on the kind of generational yeah, thing sure. and so like he has his lane of kind of this i'm the true outsider generational sort of concept it didn't work for beto uh, it's yeah it's not working for beto true. but i mean it, so when she kind of surged, it was kind of like it was more about Biden than it really was about her. And so she's kind of struggled to kind of come up with that why question of like, support me. I think what it might have been, what actually might have been the reason for her surge was that she showed that she could take Biden on and Biden was kind of a stand in for Trump. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I, th- I do think that the Democratic base wants somebody that can punch him in the nose, yeah. you know, on the debate stage. And, and so and so she so maybe she's got a couple more debates to show that again. Well, she's she also said her new thing is, you know, I'm going to prosecute the case against President Trump. But it's like, OK, like that's really boring. Like every Democrat is against President Trump. Like she gets on the stage in the debates and she's like, let's talk about President Trump. And it's like, yeah, we know. We know. Like we got it. Move on. And she's not the what only, are you bringing? And like, she's not the only lawyer either. I mean, Elizabeth Warren was, is a lawyer as well. So the, it's so again, that, that kind of goes uh, like, why? You know, so at, at this time, like, I think, I mean, Warren definitely does have the momentum, both in terms of energy, enthusiasm. I mean, she has a plan for everything. Um, also, um, but her plans at least are digest, digestible. And but you know bit, what so. they are. You get it. Yeah. And she can kind of bridge that kind of Clinton Sanders sort of divide that so far no one really has been able to do yet. So, um, now the big, the, there's, there are some question marks around Warren still, um, whether she can kind of play to kind of a larger audience and a more, you know, the, the, be able to get that middle voter, um, because while her polling has significantly improved amongst Democrats, it's actually kind of stayed stagnant or gone down with the kind of the middle of the road voter, Republicans. So she's not really showing crossover ability yeah. quite yet. So, so that, there's so question marks there. Yeah, here's my question about Warren, my big question, which is, 
Again, so I'm an interloper in the Democratic primary. I, I, all I want is for somebody to beat Donald Trump. So I, I'm putting aside the <laughs> policy and all that. I, so this is just pragmatic. There are three types of voters that are the reason Donald Trump's president. There's, there's people like me mm-hmm. that, that left the party because of Trump. There are not very many of us, but, that, but we, we're about 4% of the electorate. Two of them are sitting on the stage. Yeah, there you go. Uh, people <laughs> like us. Um, then there are the blue-collar Obama-Trump voters. We've talked a lot about them. And then there are the uh, African-American mostly, but also a little bit of young and other people of color voters who didn't show up or mm-hmm. voted for Jill Stein. Right. So th- those three groups are going to decide the election. Yeah. Right. Which one of those groups does Warren help with over Clinton? I, I don't know the answer the, to the that. The blue collar, maybe. Yeah, maybe. the blue collar Obama voters. Yeah, I think maybe. But I'll tell you this: like I've and I've said this from day one. Like, and and this you is left just Obama for Trump. You're going back to Warren. Um, maybe. Yeah, because because look look who can help us. Uh, you know, economically, who's going to protect us? You know, I think that there's, you know, she's the real deal. I think she's, you know, if you're a union worker and, you know, in some place and Trump has let you down, you go, okay, well, this person, you know, is also, you know, going to look out for us. She sounds like us. And I've said from day one, and this is policy aside, whatever you think of Elizabeth Warren's policy, I've always said, I will pay 995 for pay-per-view to watch her debate Donald Trump (laughs) because whoever who can get in the mud, with him i mean can you imagine right so remember remember that uh that forum where donald trump like kind of walked behind hillary clinton and it was like what the can you imagine what would happen if he did that to elizabeth warren (laughs) i mean i would pay to watch this and so i'm not saying that should be the way you elect people (laughs) and that you should vote for her for that reason but I just think in in terms of like who can take on the president, you know, sort of in a debate or whatever, maybe Kamala Harris, of course. Um, But uh, but I think Elizabeth Warren is somebody who uh, also has that thing about her where people go, you know what? I think she would absolutely just, you know, turn around, turn around and be like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, I think I think she'd be somebody uh, who could who would be just as good in a fight um, as some of the other folks on the stage. Okay, let's move on. I uh, wanted to talk a bit about the streets of San Francisco. Not the TV show, but our actual streets of San Francisco. Uh, those of us who live, work, or frequently visit the city know well about its uh, reputation for streets that are uh, full of refuse and people and needles and other things like that. Um, this has not escaped the uh, the eagle eyes of the Trump administration, which has, of course, criticized the state and, and criticized our leaders. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about this because, you know, the major cities in, San Fran- in California are all Democratic controlled. I mean... Uh, they, they I'll, get, yeah, the, I'll feel uh, this one. I've had the you know kind of liberals in the audience probably liking my Donald Trump take, so I'll, I'll maybe say something that might they might not like as much. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, like honestly, the people that are responsible if you if you're unhappy with the streets of San Francisco, which you should be, if you're unhappy with the price of housing in San Francisco, which you should be, the problem is pretty much rich liberals, like not wanting to build affordable housing near them. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's it, this is not a problem in Texas, right? They're building plenty of houses in Texas. There's no, there are no unnecessary rules around it. There are no environmental regulations that are preventing people from building houses. This is not a problem in Florida. This is not a problem in Miami, which has a lot in common with um, 
San Francisco. This is a problem here and in Los Angeles and in a couple other places where you know rich liberals don't don't want um, low income people to be living in their communities. They don't want to build house. They don't want to build houses uh, for them. They don't. They want to keep the uh, way the neighborhood is. And I understand that. But um, I mean, you know, I live over in Oakland, and you know, they were trying to build a a, a big maybe middle income, this wasn't low income housing, middle income housing complex near my house. And, and the city council voted it down because there was a, a gas station that was a historic thing. It was an ugly gas station on the corner. <laughs> you know, in Berkeley, similarly, I saw a story like this where, where there was people that lived on a park and they were worried that the, this was going to be low income housing that they were going to build. The shadow was going to come over the park. I mean, this is insane. Yeah, and, so, and, and the people that are being hurt are poor people that liberals claim to care about the most. So, uh, you know, I, and unfortunately, Tucker Carlson, this is the thing that proves that a broken clock is white, right twice a day. Maybe only once for Tucker Carlson. He's <laughs> right about that. Well, to bring it to Southern California a little bit too, it, it, so the climate strike that, you know, that, that just happened recently, there happened to be one in Santa Monica as well. That's where I uh, currently reside. Um, a great environmentally friendly place, got a lot of support. Um, so much support that they were carrying signs, honk for climate change or honk for whatever the climate. Yeah. Well, you have people driving their luxury SUVs. <laughs> Down Main Street, honking at these uh, climate strikers. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have put into place rules that make it almost impossible to really actually ride scooters around uh, the city of Santa Monica. Why? Because the people who live of north of Montana, which live in their beautiful mansions, uh, think that's bringing in the riffraff of uh riffraff into Down their into their communities and so they are have no problem jumping into their luxury land rover and driving around los angeles um but and honking for for the climate strike uh, but at the same time they're not willing to kind of give up what they're willing to give up because it it it, encourage, it creates a uh, a change of lifestyle for them so it's the same thing we're seeing here. It's the same thing you see with homelessness. It's the same thing you see with all these different policies that you have to be able to walk the walk, not just speak the talk. Well, you know, you I hear from people a lot who complain about, you know, what we see on the street. And, and I always ask, who's your supervisor? And most people don't know. Now, y'all know because it's common. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of folks don't know. Uh, who's the district attorney? A lot of people don't know. Uh, there are people who still think Gavin Newsom is the mayor. Like, <laughs> I see him on TV all the time. It's amazing. Like, so, you know what I mean? Like, people have to pay more attention to who they are electing. When the state changed the law to make it easier for, like, eight people in San Francisco to be conserved, like, to be a member of conservatorship, it was, like, eight to 12 people is, who they, is how many people they estimated would be covered by this new law that would allow that to be a little easier so that people who you know, not surprisingly, crazy people who didn't know they were crazy uh, could actually be conserved by the city. Uh, the board of supervisors here refused to enact it. And they waited and waited and waited. And it wasn't until a ballot measure was threatened, a ballot measure that probably would have gone a lot farther, <laughs> um, was threatened, mm -hmm. that they actually finally implemented this this state law that allowed them to literally like a dozen people, a dozen of like the really most, um, you know, vulnerable people. Right. I'll just bookmark that as a side note right now under state law, in order to be conserved, you have to be uh, you have to be a number of things. One of them is an alcoholic. 
it does not cover drug use, right? Which is actually the biggest problem we see out there. So I know, weird. Um, that's one of the, yeah, I know. Um, and so what the law did was it, it added sort of some drug use to that list. And so that would, that was sort of put, so perfectly reasonable. Why anyone would be against this, I don't know. But some were, and they were very loud, and they went to the Board of Supervisors. But this is what happens when you don't pay attention to who you're electing to your local offices, and then all of this stuff happens on the street, and you go, how did this happen? Well, this is how. Mm -hmm. This is how. It is outrageous that it took a threat of a ballot measure to get our Board of Supervisors to do the very, very minimum (laughs) required by a new state law that would allow conservatorship over some people who have, you know, just such severe drug problems that they have been admitted uh, to either hospitals or to the police like uh, over more than a dozen times over a year or whatever. I think the loss is something like that. But but again, it's not this is not a massive thing. This is not a, you know, um. This is not a you know what Joseph Heller <laughs> situation. It's just a. It was a very minimal thing, and even that ran into massive problems at the board. And so, anyone out here, I, I encourage you to when your friends complain about this, talk to them about who they are electing locally, who is making the decisions that are affecting how we live. And it's not just lo- it's. I mean, I am a huge proponent of local understanding your local mm-hmm. politics, understanding your local policy issues, because that is really where the things that affect you the most are going to get done. But it's also about the state. I mean, there, there are some things that I disagree vehemently with with Scott Weiner, but on SB 50 and a lot of his housing stuff, he is right where the state needs to be and should have been about a decade or two ago. Um, and the fact that he is not getting the support that he deserves and on these issues, it's an environmental issue, it's a housing issue, it's a transportation issue, it's a public health issue as well. Um, and so you really have to kind of see the intersection around all these policy topics, not just think of them as silos and not, not just think of them of how does it affect my house or what, whatever I, I uh, currently uh, am dealing with at my point in time. It's much bigger than kind of just you and me. Speaking of state laws, I wanted to talk a bit about AB5. Have you, have you heard about this law? This would affect how companies label workers as either independent contractors or employees. Um, rideshare service companies Uber and Lyft were pretty much assumed to be the main targets of this. But we're finding this bill affects lots and lots of companies. Uh, it affects nonprofits like the Commonwealth Club, too. Um, and I, I think a lot of companies are probably going to be finding they're spending a lot more time and money um, in paperwork and, and other sort of background stuff on people they, they're using services of maybe 10 hours a week or less. Um, Carson, do you have any thoughts on AB5? Was, it, was yes. this unintended consequences or is this maybe what the folks behind the law actually were hoping for a broad uh, application like this. So a little background first. A, I'm not a labor lawyer, so I, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into the labor law portion of it all, but there was a Supreme Court, state Supreme Court case that essentially uh, uh, mandated this ABC test in terms of determining whether someone's an employee or eligible to be an independent contractor. Um, and so it kind of set up this kind of massive limbo because it was kind of the courts deciding that the, the setting policy per se. And so the legislature decided to basically just enact the ABC test that the, the courts kind of 
forced upon the states. Um, and so AB5 is that bill that essentially determines how you can be classified, wh- whether you have to be classified as an employee, which then set, stipulates all that labor, you know, law and code associated with that minimum wage, hours, healthcare benefits, all et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or whether you can be classified as a legitimate independent contractor, uh, which then labor law does not necessarily kind of associate with you as, as an employee, as a worker. Um, it became very much focused on Uber Lyft. So much, so much focused on Uber Lyft. So much so that most people actually thought it was just a bill to go after Uber and Lyft to make sure that they're making, so that they could f- allow their workers to be employees. There's nothing preventing them from having their drivers be employees. Let's just get that clear. <laughs> because I'm seeing polling out there saying that would you support a bill that would force uh, that would allow Uber and Lyft? I think it was the Emerson poll that you quoted earlier that would allow Uber and Lyft to uh, per, to to have their rider their drivers be employees. No, they, they could do that under previous law. That that was per- perfectly permissible. Uh, what it does is essentially force them to have their drivers as employees, which definitely changes the economics of the situation, both for the drivers as well as for the companies. Uh, but the bigger thing here is it's not just a Uber Lyft bill. It affects every single person who is an employee or an independent contractor in the state of California. Nail salonists, hair stylists, uh, people who deliver your, your, uh, your newspaper, truckers, I mean, the list goes on. We don't really know truly kind of all the industries that it affects yet because it affects pretty much every single industry. There's a sizable group of people and growing in the state of California who who were either chose or were independent contractors for uh, employment purposes. And so it's definitely going to have wide-ranging effects. The problem really is the fact that a lot of those industries realize that it's going to have a, a problem for them, um, and they made a convincing case to the legislature, so they got carve-outs uh, out of AB5, and you're going to see lots more carve-outs occurring. But the, that the policy by carve-out means that your policy is bad, because if you're constantly having to make exemptions for certain people, that means then you're, something's wrong there. Uh, and what does, what does it do? It allows you to really just, if you're politically connected, if you have money, if you have the ability to write op-eds like the editorial boards of some of the biggest newspapers in the state did, and all of a sudden they got a carve-out, um, it, it, it really sets up a, a politicization of labor law, which is not a good place to be. I, I don't care what side of the aisle you are on unions, unionization or non-unionization, on labor. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not a good position for California to be in, um, okay. and it's going to set up a big problem moving forward. Well, I'll tell you one group that's actually not carved out weirdly not carved out is political operatives. So those folks with the clipboards outside the grocery store who lie to you about what they want you to sign, (laughs) those people not carved out. Um, People phone bank for certain candidates, not carved out. Um, Weirdly, you know, politicians rely on non-employees a really lot. And so, uh, but these folks, again, strangely, not carved out. And I kind of like this because here's the thing. Politicians often get to pass laws and then sort of walk away and go, okay, private sector, you deal with it. You deal with this like mishmash of nonsense that we can't figure out. Uh, and so the fact that they might now actually have to <laughs> sit down and read some of the stuff that over the years they have passed uh, and try to implement it among their own staffers is going to be kind of amazing. Uh, but that's just an example of yeah. one of the groups that 
that's not Lyft or Uber drivers that are going to be covered by this and that the implications of which are we just don't know yet. We're going to have to start seeing it. And to be clear, this court case and this law are retroactive. They are not like they don't just like begin in January of 2020. They're supposed to sort of clarify existing law. So it's not the case that on a, on a certain day, everybody's got these rights. The law says Everybody already has these rights. And so the litigation that might result is, you know, it, it could be serious. So while like you're going to see a lot of probably inside game in Sacramento around the carve outs continuation, but there's also going to be a ballot measure on this, a referendum on AB5. Uh, Uber and Lyft have already put in, I think, 30, 30 million each. I think it's 30 million each wow. into a campaign to basically overturn AB5, uh, which would then throw kind of the whole situation into another limbo because then it is, there has to be some sort of law to determine what is a classification versus employee versus independent contractor. So um, while there's going to be a lot inside game, you're going to be, you're going to see lots of commercials about it. Okay. Before we get to our news quiz, I want to give Tim last chance to talk about college athletes. Gavin Newsom signed a bill. Why don't you tell I was so happy this? that Gavin Newsom did something that I liked. And so I'm just <laughs> glad you gave me just one minute to talk about it. It's so great. It is crazy the, the way that college athletes are tweet, treated. It's been my pet issue for a while. I tried to win Jeb over on it. He rejected me. Didn't end up mattering. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, I, I mean, I think that a lot of times people, when people d- debate this, they're like, they should be students and they go to class and, and, you know, they're already getting paid through that. Or, oh, they're going to go be famous in the pros and make money anyway. But the problem is there are a lot of people in the middle that are getting, a, that are getting kind of screwed, right? Where college is their best earning time. A lot of times it's poor kids, right? So, you know, look, I'm a fan of LSU football. So here's my example. If you're like the 10th best player on, sorry, you're the 10th <laughs> best player on LSU, you know, you might go to the pros, but, but everybody in Louisiana knows you right now. And, and so everybody's making money on you. The coaches, the university's making money on you. CBS is making money off you. Uh, you know, I'm going to the games paying $100 a ticket, having to watch commercials. And, and, and this guy that's the 10th best player on the team who might have come from a poor family, he, he's got nothing. And, and so, you know, it's really a broken system. And I, and I think Gavin is on the cutting edge of a good solution that keeps them student athletes but lets them, you know, uh, if that guy wants to go do an ad for a car dealership in Louisiana right now to make a couple extra bucks, he can do that. That should be allowed. Any other students allowed to do that already? And I think that's a fair way to do it. And that was a good answer for Gavin. Yeah. Yes, the Jeb Bush communications director just got applause. That. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Well, listen, let's do our news quiz now. Fran is going to come up and take this bag full of chocolate. I'm going to ask some questions. If you think you know the answer, raise your hand. I'll call on you. Then you can shout out your answer. Uh, if you do win, please then let others win for the rest of the game. Just so one really, 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 really well-informed person doesn't win at all. <laughs> so, That's a lot of chocolate. So the first question. Saturday evening at 6.41 p.m., Davis, California had an unwanted visitor. Who or what was it? Sir, your hand went right up. Tornado. Yeah, tornado. That is correct. <laughs> kind of uh, liberal on the grading policies here. I heard earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> Second chance. It's on a curve. (laughs) Um, It took seven police officers and a stun gun at the Salinas Police Department to subdue a 22-year-old woman who did what? Did you see this story? No one wanted to guess? Okay. It was a woman who had grabbed another woman and threatened her with a meat cleaver. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it's not funny, but... Meat cleaver? Wow. Melissa, you're cold. I'm sorry. I mean, it's not funny, but it's meat cleaver. I just did not see that coming. Okay. 
Here's something that Pete Buttigieg did not see coming. Oh, wait, that was the answer. <laughs> oh, that's why I write extra questions in case I screw them up. Um, on Sunday, the party of former Chancellor Sebastian Kurtz won a snap election in what country? Sir, along the back there. Austria, that's correct. Uh, a roller coaster flipped over mid-ride, killing two and injuring two more in what city? Sir, second row. Mexico City, that's correct. Meanwhile, more than 20,000 people took to the streets of what capital city on Sunday to demand the release of political prisoners? Uh, about the fourth row back, ma'am? Moscow. Moscow, that's correct. I suspect they will soon be found to have committed suicide by shooting themselves in the back for you. <laughs> Stay away um, from windows. Yeah. Um, the Democratic Party is seeking cash from lobbyists to pay for the $70 million cost of what? Anyone? Happens once every four years. Right in the front there. Sorry? Is there a convention? Yeah. Do you know what city it's going to be in? Not San Francisco. Huh. Close enough. Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, yeah, sorry. I'll take, a piece of cho- I'll take a chocolate after the next Wisconsin. one. I had that one. I should do like what well, all the questions are just Wisconsin, Wisconsin. cities. Um, <laughs> rocker John Bon Jovi produced a fundraising appeal for what presidential candidate? Ma'am, Cory Booker. That's correct. Yeah, Jersey. Calling it basically an ICBM that lands, SpaceX unveiled its planned vehicle that'll go where? Right in the front? Sorry? Mars. Correct. Yesterday, a 6.8 magnitude earthquake struck off the coast of what South American country? Nobody saw this story? Oh, sir, back there. Chile, that's correct. Uh, The Trump administration has proposed a 40% cut in what limit? And it's something that's been reduced. Sir? No. Way in the back. Way in the back there. Refugees, that's correct. Oh, let's see. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> mm. okay, uplifting one. Mm. And this one, Tim already answered during the course of the program, so we can't ask that one. Uh, former National Security Advisor John Bolton emerged from exile, and he disagreed with Trump, saying that who had no interest in giving up their nuclear weapons? Sir. Yeah. Correct. North Korea's government. New photos by NASA from the moon or of the moon, really, failed to turn up any sign of a lander that had been lost by what country? Ma'am, back there in the fourth row. India. India, that is correct. And that's our program tonight. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for all the great questions. Sorry I didn't get to ask them all. We'll see you again soon. Have a great week.